We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by my co-host Nick Filato. Today, with training camp still a few days away, and even then, it's going to take a little while again to those padded practices. We want to do something fun before training camp gets rolling and before we get into all the nitty and gritty. And so today, what we're going to do on the Big Blue Banter podcast is A little thought experiment, a little hypothetical. So the hypothetical is this. If the NFL had followed in the NHL's footstep with the Seattle Kraken. Kraken. Kraken, who are coming into the NHL. You could either say it that way, Nick, or you could do the old Yiddish way, the Kraken. Uh, I'll leave that to you. (laughs) (laughs) Since they're coming in, imagine there was an NFL expansion team. So in this scenario, this hypothetical we're having for fun. Shout out, by the way, to Jimbo, Jimmy from Cresco, my boy, friend for now, a few years now, good guy, avid listener of the podcast. He sent me a Instagram about this a little while ago, and we thought it was great content. So what we're going to do is this. If there was an expansion team right now and the Giants had to protect seven players on offense, NHL rules, eight players on defense, here's the other rules, all rookies. So everyone selected in the 2021 draft is safe. We do not have to include those players. Also, it is it is uh, in this hypothetical these players are on their current contract. So with all the picks we make, keep in mind that we will be making it with the current contracts. One final caveat before we move forward: Nick and I have very similar lists. So this is basically just going to be one group of 15 players, the exception of one player different. We didn't know that. We compared notes before the podcast, and that's what it is. But like I always say. I'm never going to change my opinion for any reasons or my takes for any reasons. There are a lot of people who want you to change your takes to be always positive on the Giants. That's not this podcast. That's not me. Tell it like it is, and so does Nick. So we're not just picking players just to pick different players. So before we do any of that, Nick, how was your weekend, my friend? Weekend was fantastic, Dan. You know, seems like we had some good weather up here. You know, back from uh, the L.A. Arizona trip, getting used to people speaking with uh, more New Jersey type of uh, tongues out here. Seeing uh, people actually drive with some competence because out there it's it's not it's not like that, man. You know, Arizona drivers they <laughs> yeah. just weren't they were they reminded me of Florida drivers and Florida drivers. You know, that's that's not my life right there, bro. Nah, I don't blame you. I mean, those drivers suck. They're, they're very bad. Yeah. They don't they don't know what the left lane. A is lot of the time they're just older too, so you got to give them mm-hmm. true. Got to caveat that in as well. My weekend solid. Um, I wanted to present to you, Nick, 
mm-hmm. a take that I was thinking of and I was brewing this weekend as something went down. Now, this take, Nick, it's going to be ice cold. It's going to be freezing cold. As it comes off my lips, it's going to freeze in the air <laughs> so- to become a solid. And I'll say a few other things about this freezing cold take. One, I'm positive that you're going to hate it. Okay. You specifically. Two, I think the majority of our listeners will consider it a freezing cold take and will disagree with me. But three, I stand by it, and I think it's stupid that it's not considered a good take. So here's my take. Sometimes, and not always, by the way, this is not my preference, but there will be times where the day is going long or something, you don't have as much time as you think. I don't personally mind if I'm doing only upper body, so keep that in mind, lifting in Regular khaki shorts or jeans. I do not think it's that. Now, I've never done the jeans. Luckily, I've never been in the position. But I've considered. But I've done sweatpants. Well, sweatpants make sense. I've done short. I've done khaki shorts. The other this came to mind because I did khaki shorts the other day. I was lifting. I was doing a pu- a push day. So chest and triceps and shoulders. I don't see any point. Why do I have to have the the athletic shorts on? It makes no sense. It was oh, you gotta have athletic shorts. Who cares? I'm doing all upper body exercise. There's no cardio involved because my workouts never involve any cardio because I'm a lazy piece of crap. And so it's just upper body lifting. Why do I need athletic shorts on? They do literally nothing. I'm doing no movement with my lower body. I'm pushing metal only with my upper body. There is nothing to gain from having the aesthetic shorts on. So if the time comes where I can't, I don't have time or I'm on the move and I just have only a little bit of time to get to the gym, whatever it may be, and all I have on is regular like everyday shorts or khaki pants, whatever it may be. Khaki pants. I have never done khaki. Luckily, this has only happened in like like regular khaki shorts or something. (laughs) But I would do jeans. If I was in jeans and I only had 15 minutes and I had no time to get back home to get regular athletic shorts for a gym session and I needed to get a workout and I wanted to do a push or pull day, Either one, any of the upper body stuff, I would go in jeans, and I don't care. Yeah, that's a bad take. I, I'm, not, I'm not a fan of that take. I mean, I believe I've probably lifted in jeans before, but I was probably like 14 or 15 years old in like high school. But now that I'm an adult, I'll always prepare and make sure I have shorts. Because for me, I don't even know if it's a mindset thing, Dan, but I just like to uh, I like to be able to walk around a lot. Like when I'm done, like even if I'm just doing chest, I'm walking around, I'm jiving around a little bit. You, you can know, walk, I'm walking, shadow you can walk boxing in anything. a little bit, you know, dipping my hips and stuff. And I just... Uh, I, I just don't feel comfortable in, in anything that's restrictive around the waist, which I feel like khakis and like any kind of jean type of material is. So you don't feel comfortable when you're walking and you're you're going to a work day and you wear obviously I'm sure you wear some pants sometimes for yeah, your job. Yeah. And you don't feel comfortable just walking in the city with those pants? Walking, yes, but I like to, not when I'm laying down, I'm getting ready to do my thing. I'm just not in the right m- mindset. Okay, I think you people, and you are the majority when I say you people, it's you and just about everybody else, yeah. are thinking this through way too much. Like, oh, you're not comfortable, the, the, boy, the if pants are bunching. If it's, like, a, if it's a time thing, I, I agree with you. You know, <laughs> you don't have that much time, you want to get a quick workout in, that's perfectly natural and fine. But I would, I, me personally, I would plan to bring shorts, but if I didn't have it, I would just suck it up and do it. But I wouldn't be at my maximum comfort, and I want to be at my maximum comfort when I'm lifting. Okay, I think we're not as far away from this take then as you said, because I think some people would just literally drive home and not go to the gym that day because they don't have athletic shorts on. That I would never do. I would go to the gym, I would have my pants on, whatever it may be, and I would do my lift because I'm not going to – they're just driving home, but I can't do anything. I don't have shorts. It's like – it's almost as if it's like – um I'm trying to think of a good comparison here. I can't think of one. And I, the one I was thinking of was somewhat political. And the one time we have gone a political route on this podcast, it led to some poor results. So I will not go back down that route ever again. But 
it just like it, it's almost like people are physically incapable of doing an upper body push on a bench press. Oh, if I don't have my athletic shorts, what can I do? The world's gonna explode. I don't know how I can do this. How can I do this lift without shorts on? Well, you know how you do it? You just push. It has losing. You're using none of your lower body whatsoever. I guess it's a comfort thing, but I guess that's what it is for you at least. I think some people are just like it's a it's a fashion thing. They don't want to ever be seen in the gym. Oh no, jeans. I don't. I don't. I, don't I think care that's at all the main group. Of people. Yeah, They're I don't. Like, I don't care at all about that kind of stuff. I do have a funny story though, man, because when I was in a college, I had this professor. And he was never my professor, but he was definitely a professor at the school. He was an older gentleman. And he would always go to the school gym where, you know, the football team would work out and everything like that. And I don't know if this guy didn't believe in shorts or lifting in jeans, but he definitely believed in lifting in, like, tight spandex, like, underwear, <laughs> where you could see a little mushroom print. And I thought it was one of the most inappropriate things I'd ever, like... I mean, he did it every day, too. So and he knew what he was doing? I, I don't know. This guy was, like, older, but, like, not old enough to get away with this. Like, like mid-50s, you know? And I'm like, bro, like, what do you, like... You can kind of see stuff, you know what I mean? And, like, it's just, like, I don't... I would never do that ever in any gym, let alone a college campus, when yeah. you're a professor there. Like, yeah, I just thought it was 20-year-old girls walking around. Yeah, it's just an odd, it was a very 18 odd 18 to 20-year-old girl, that's very weird, and that guy hopefully is not on any kind of sexual predator list at this <laughs> point, but I wouldn't be surprised if he was. Let's talk some Giants football, though, now, and let's talk about this expansion draft. And so, again, like we said, I'm going to run through our list. It's seven offensive players, eight defensive players like the NHL, no rookies because all rookies are exempt. Every player that we choose to keep on our roster, it means that the expansion team, theoretically, if there was one, is not able to draft this player. Also, their contract counts. So we're going to start with, I did these actually in order of assets. So I'm curious to see, did you do yours in the order of most important asset to you? Because that's how I did it. Or did you just do seven players on the offense and eight on the defense? I have them listed in order, Dan. Okay, then let's start and see what we have. So I'm going to start with my number one player who I would protect. So this would basically be if you could only protect one player on offense. This is my pick. My pick is left tackle Andrew Thomas. So factoring in the contract, he's on a rookie deal, though it is the fourth overall. So it's not, you know, a super cheap rookie deal. It's not second round through seventh round style. But even so, I believe that at his age, with his skill set, with what he showed at times in that second half, I would say for the majority of the second half of the 2020 season, he is the best asset on this roster, all things factored in. Importance of the position, left tackle in my mind is one of the most important positions in the NFL. Age, talent and upside, and contract combined. He is the number one asset on this roster, and he would be my number one guy. He'd be my number one as well. And honestly, looking at the offense, I think he's the clear-cut number one. I mean, I love, you know, I like Daniel Jones and what he could be, but he hasn't necessarily proven himself quite yet. Kenny Galladay has a pretty big deal for a wide receiver. Is he going to actually return value on that? I think both of us believe that he will, but that's definitely not a given. Andrew Thomas, that rookie deal, yes, it's a top five rookie deal, but still, upside is through the roof with this kid. And I just got done writing an article for Big Blue View, watched a lot of Andrew film tape, or Andrew Thomas tape, Andrew film tape. <laughs> but, uh, down the stretch of the season, it significantly improved. And that that's something that I, I'm glad to to see. It just seemed like he was so much more confident. His strike timing was just so much better. His ability to handle those counters was so much better. And his feet were so much better. And that's really what you're looking for. Because if you watch him early in the season, it looked like he didn't know what he was doing with his footwork. He always lunged. He would miss. His timing, all that stuff was just incredibly bad. And then down the stretch of the season, you saw him kind of, you know, 
feeling the edge rusher out, going to punch, seeing what the edge rusher did, and then reacting to that, and then not giving the alley to the inside or allowing the edge rusher to kind of get hip to hip and beat him around the edge. So there's a lot of uh, intriguing tools that this player has. We just need to see that consistency now. That's not a given either. He could regress a little bit. Right. I think with Rob Sale, he won't. I'm confident about him heading into year two, and he would be my, my number one as well. Yeah, I think that's fair. Everything you said makes sense there. Only thing I would say is was regards to the Rob Sale thing, uh, I think it's important to know what you said. Progression is not always linear. Absolutely not. There's times where these guys can regress and these guys can get worse. I have faith in him as a player and as a pert and just based on the prospect he is. I'm not going to go out here and say I have so much faith in Rob Sale because Rob Sale's just another offensive line coach. We're hoping he could be a great offensive line coach, but it's a complete unknown to me right now what Rob Sale can bring, and there's no, there's nothing in my mind that says Rob Sale's a guarantee to be better than uh, Dugu Guillermo last year. There's just no guarantee to me whatsoever. Good job, by the way, there. Yeah, I got the Googs in. So I just feel like it's important to know. We all get excited about these coaches a lot when a lot of the time, like there was a lot of excitement around James Batcher, right? There was a ton of excitement when he came in from Arizona. I was leading that because I love some of the things he did there. He turned out to be a really bad coach for the Giants. It just doesn't always work out. There was even excitement around Mark Colombo last year. A lot of excitement yeah, around on Mark this Colombo. podcast. Too. On this podcast, on a lot of podcasts and a lot of articles, a lot of buzz. This guy is going to help fix the line. It's partially him why they're going to get better. And it didn't. It actually went the other way. So just Keep in mind when you buy into all the hype of the coaching, until they prove it and put it on paper, like Patrick Cram did, for example, that's when you can start to buy into the hype. But my number two player, Nick, would actually be Daniel Jones. So this is an interesting one for me because it's more so based on the fact that if you took Daniel Jones off this roster right now, the Giants in my mind would have no chance to do anything this season. And that's just the state of quarterback in the NFL. Obviously, as you know, Nick, and as listeners know as well i am not nearly as high on daniel jones as giants twitter who seems to just completely i guess overlook or omit all of the turnovers he's had the lack of passing yards he's had the lack of explosive plays he's had his slow eyes his inability to come off that first read all of the things that have made him by far and away by every metric an underwhelming and well below average quarterback through his first two seasons seem to be overlooked now he has flashed the traits on tape to be better. He's going to have the weapons finally around him. The offensive line, probably not this season, but he's going to have the weapons. And again, he has flashed the traits. So I think Daniel Jones can take a massive jump. This is not to say that. The reason he makes my list at number two is because I think he can make a massive jump, but he's not there yet. And the players we're going to name after him, a lot of them are there already. But if you take Daniel Jones off the roster right now, Mike Glennon is not winning you more than nine games. Mike Glennon is not probably not winning you more than seven games. So it's just a matter of the importance of the position, scarcity of the position, and all of those factors, including what I mentioned, his talent level, the upside, what he has flashed. I think there's such a wide range of outcomes for Daniel Jones this season. He could continue to be what he's been, which is, in reality, non-giant, you know, take out the Giants homers, a bottom five quarterback. He's been bottom five these two years. If you look at all the advanced metrics, if you just look at the raw numbers, the turnovers compared to his touchdowns, and the passing yards compared to the rest of the NFL per attempt, it's bottom five across the board. But we still see the flashes that lead me to believe he can be top 15 this year at the quarterback position. I really think there is an outcome. It's a non-zero chance that he takes a huge jump from all of those metrics because he's going to have Barkley there, because he's going to have these weapons, because hopefully as a defense that helps him not have to press as much. 
We'll see. All those reasons combined, I got him as my number two. Who's your number two? My number two is Daniel Jones as well, not to totally agree with you. And I think you laid out the case as to why it's the upside. But I do believe this offensive line being successful and being not a bottom two offensive line in the NFL is also partly contingent on Daniel Jones taking that next step because he does have sometimes struggling with his eyes and getting through his reads. I think just a little bit more time in the pocket may be really good for Daniel Jones. And that's just one thing that we're just not totally certain is going to happen. I think Jason Garrett can also help maximize Daniel Jones. Like you Mm -hmm. said, there are a lot of intriguing traits there. I don't really want to sit here and reiterate all of them. But yes, he's my number two. It's the most important position and the upside is there. But this is, you know, not to beat the dead horse, a uh, make it or break it season for this kid. Yeah, and it's interesting with Jones. We're going to get a lot get to him a lot more on future podcasts we have a good one coming up with mark schofield just to promote that one more time mark schofield most listened podcast we've had the past two off seasons quarterback guru type of uh, analyst watches more film on quarterbacks across the nfl than anyone i've seen way more than nick and i we don't have time to watch really any quarterback film wise the exception of jones and the players and the quarterbacks who face the giants and then a couple more like the like i watch a lot of zach wilson for example whatever point is I'm going to get to the bottom of that. We're going to get to the bottom of that at some point. But one question I have for you before I move on from Jones is this. I think back to – when I think of Jones, man, I think back to that first season, that rookie season, where he was actually moving the ball. And it it wasn't like – Jones' rookie season versus Jones' last season was such a different player to me. And yet the offensive line didn't really – it wasn't better in 2019. In my mind, the offensive line was basically worse in 2019 than it was last season, right? Worse comparable. And I know he had Barkley for that, but I don't really put too much weight on a running back. So it's just like, to me, a lot of it is system-based. And I really feel like you just have to play into your quarterback strength. Make this offense look a lot more, I guess, simplified. I think that's the best way to describe what Pat Shermer did for him. He really made things simple for Jones. And that was important because he came from an incredibly simple offense at Duke. They did not ask him to do much at Duke. It was mostly quick game. It was mostly RPO. It was mostly hit that first read. And Cutcliffe did a good job of finding plays against ACC defenses where the first read was there. And that wasn't really the case as much for him in Garrett's offense, as at, at least it was for Shermer. So I just wonder if doubling down, like it feels like Garrett's going to do, doubling down on his offense this year for Jones is the best move, or if it might be better to kind of just lean on some of the things he did well in 2019. That, and I, I don't underplay the Saquon Barkley injury, and it's just because how defenses play the Giants. And you remember, like, watching Greg Williams' defense, that Jet game, what they were doing. They were just shooting every gap. They're like, okay, Saquon, we're not going to allow you to run. We're going to force that rookie quarterback to beat us. And Daniel Jones couldn't, and that game was just a wild game with weird turnovers and stuff like that anyways. But a lot of teams had that game plan going in. We're going to force that rookie quarterback to beat us. And you know what? Daniel Jones put up some solid stats he had some solid moments made some big time throws in that rookie season but the Giants still stunk now with that healthy Saquon Barkley with all of these added weapons and hopefully an improved offensive line even in Garrett's system which I think both of us agree is not as quarterback friendly as Pat Shermer's was I think that Jones can still kind of get to that level that we saw in the rookie year now with more experience and be a more just a better quarterback overall that's what the hope is but just in general I think having Saquon there it just makes defenses be like, oh, we got to watch this guy because this guy's a difference maker. And he makes one safety in the alley miss, and that's, you know, a 60-yard touchdown run. So this is one of the rare times where we kind of disagree on a point. Um, I would say, in my mind, I know that that is the expectation, that when you have Saquon on the field, defenses play you different. 
but it just didn't seem to be the case in that Steelers game when they were shooting gaps and it just seemed didn't, and I know he wasn't on the field for that Tampa game so it's not a great example but it is another example of a defensive coordinator who just shot gaps on Jones and then you look at the Arizona game and the Baltimore game I feel like that's more of a product of Daniel Jones than it is Saquon Barkley being on the field. I think that defenses are at the point where they're just like, we don't need to play too high really against Jones that often. We can go down and we can really aggressively play this quarterback because he hasn't shown us that he can beat this. He looked terrible against Tampa. He looked terrible against Arizona, which he was injured for. And he looked terrible against Baltimore, which he was injured for. Yes. And then obviously that Steelers game, he did not look good either. He had the one nice throw to Slade in for the touchdown. And then he had a garbage time touchdown. And the garbage time, which means But still, that's like two of his on 11... On the slant flat. Two of his 11 touchdowns in the year, too, right. which is like, in oh that first God. game. Yeah. So to me, that's more of a product, not of Barkley being on the field, and defense is counting for Barkley, of more just a product of, we don't think that we, Daniel Jones can beat us if we just don't really I think, respect him. I think those two things are married together, though. Because okay. they really focus on stopping the rushing attack. They really hyper-focus on that and say, oh, yeah, let that quarterback beat us. Now it's on Jones. But they did that with Gallman as well is all I'm saying. So it's like what changes f- with Barkley? I feel like they played they played a little bit more uh, too high when Saquon's not there. I don't have the analytics on that, though. Yeah. Like, I don't have any of those uh, numbers. I don't, I'm not saying that they did or didn't play as I don't have the analytics on that either. Yeah, I'm yeah. more so saying when they didn't. The times they didn't do it, Arizona, Tampa Bay. These are last year games without Saquon on the field. Arizona, Tampa Bay, Baltimore. When they didn't do it, when they didn't, you know, play those more of a too high zone all the time type look, it didn't, it, with Saquon or Gallman on the field, it didn't really matter. Jones wasn't really finding ways to win. Yeah, and I also think that's a product of Jason Garrett, too, which sure. goes back to kind of the original oh, I, pieces of I this. I totally yeah, agree yeah, with that. Yeah. I'm definitely not coming off of that either. All right, let's move on to the third player we're going to protect after Andrew Thomas and Daniel Jones. Mine is going to be Kenny Galladay. Uh-huh. Yes, he has a massive contract. But in my mind, at his age and with what he can bring, I think a lot of people actually are sleeping on Kenny Galladay this season in total because I think there's a lot of people across the NFL, not Giants fans, who just feel like this is an ugly landing spot in their mind. They don't like Daniel Jones. They don't like Jason Garrett. They don't like the Giants offensive line, some of which is fair. But at the same time, it feels like the hype that was going into Galladay last offseason I don't know if I can just sit here and just say, poof, it's all gone. I mean, we're talking about someone who, heading into last season, the pandemic season, was viewed as by many as a top five. Some people viewed him as a top three dynasty wide receiver fantasy football asset. That's how much they thought of him. He is six foot four, insanely long, really good in the air at adjusting his body, similar to Larry Fitzgerald in my mind like that, or a prime Larry Fitzgerald when the ball's in the air. Still has like that 4-5 type speed. I mean, he's still got speed. He's only has four years of tread on his tires at the NFL level. I know he was an older rookie, but it doesn't really matter. He's still in a prime age. Most receivers, at least back in the day, the old school breakout age for receivers was 27. That's what it used to be. It used to take receivers five to seven years to really fully be their best. And so I think Kenny Galladay is an incredible asset. The only reason he's not one or two on this list for me is, one, the position he plays, wide receiver. I'm never going to find it that important, not nearly the level of an offensive tackle or quarterback. And then two would just be kind of the age difference between those players. But talent-wise, I think right now he has a case to be the most talented asset on the roster. I would agree with that. And you have to go back. What, what What was one thing in 2019, Dan, where 
Daniel Jones had a lot of success on, on those streak routes to Darius Slayton, one-on-one matchups, throw it up, and you know what? To credit of Darius Slayton, he made some fantastic plays. Well, there's really not a lot of receivers better than Kenny Galladay in those one-on-one situations where your quarterback can just chuck the ball in the air, and he's going to climb the ladder, high point it into his big-ass frame, pull it into his hmm. body for a reception. The only one that really comes to my mind, and there could be others, is DeAndre Hopkins. But Kenny Galladay, I mean, look at it. He had, what, 41 contested catch targets i believe in 2019 which was i think second or third in the nfl and he caught 26 of them i mean those were just contested catches so this kind of guy is going to really help jason garrett because jason garrett loves relying on that backside x receiver he has his entire career we've talked about that several times on this podcast and he's going to help daniel jones who used to do that with darius slayton in 2019 and they tried to do it in in garrett's system last year with darius slayton it it just didn't it wasn't natural he was kind of forced into it and i feel like darius slayton can be better as the number two he's not great defeating number one cornerbacks the top guys on other teams because he's a fifth-round second-year player out of Auburn last year. I think he's a nice player. I think he's a fine player, but he's not Kenny Galladay. And Kenny Galladay can significantly upgrade the offense just because this is Jason Garrett's offense, and it's because this is what Daniel Jones loves to target when he sees those one-on-one matchups. Daniel Jones also did a better job with his eyes last year to create those one-on-one matchups. I thought he actually developed in that area last year, which was great to see. So, yeah, Kenny Galladay is my third as well. I think you nailed a couple really key points in your breakdown there, Nick. The first being that Daniel Jones did take a step forward when it came to using his eyes to kind of find the, to using his eyes in a way that opens up those one-on-one back shoulder fade types, those one-on-one contest catch situations. Now, I remember when we were watching the film last year, we kept saying, this offense doesn't have any open receivers ever in open space. But one thing this offense always seems to have, and not always, but a lot of the time seemed to have, was those one-on-ones in that 10 to 20 yard range where you could put a ball up, and if you have somebody who can make a great contested catch, it's good. you're going to get wins out of that. And the yeah. Giants didn't get a lot of wins because Jones put the ball up, and Shepard didn't make the play a lot. Slayton didn't make the play a lot. Tate didn't make the play a lot, though he made it more than others, mostly out of the slot. But still, he made more of those contested catch balls than others. And yet, with all that said, I feel like at worst-case scenario, Nick, if Garrett, let's say, doesn't make any improvements to his system, and it's still that same offense we watched on film last year— the very least, we're still going to have those opportunities, those one-on-ones, contested catch situations. And now with Kenny Galladay in the mix, that's going to give the Giants a chance to move the ball, to get explosive plays out of those, and just to overall have an offense that's more functional. So that's really exciting to me. All right, before we move on to our fourth offensive player we're protecting, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? 
You need Indeed. All right, number four on the list for me, Matt Paired, who opens up the training camp on the pup list with a back injury that we hope is nothing and very well could be, considering Leonard Williams opened last year in training camp on the pup list and went on to have his breakout season. As far as Parrot goes, why is he so high on the list? He's young. <laughs> He's got an incredible frame for the position at offensive tackle, and that position is incredibly important to an NFL roster. What else do I like about Parrot? I think he can still grow into his body. I think he can still be a bigger, stronger, faster athlete. I also like a lot of the film I saw of him, specifically in the run game before he got COVID in 2020. I think the pre-COVID Parrot versus the post-COVID Parrot is a thing. I believe that was a real thing, and I think it showed on film. Most importantly, though, what did I like the most? Specifically, Parrot in the run game in that first Washington football matchup. I thought he was filthy. I remember at the time, Nick even made a cut-up of his clips. He only had, I think, 14, 20 snaps in that game, something in that range. But 24, yeah. 24 snaps, and boy, did he make an impact in the run game on those 24. I think he can really be a big factor in Saquon Barkley bouncing back and Saquon Barkley finding holes at the second and him just climbing to the second level getting to defenders if he's fully healthy if he's fully engaged if he takes that step forward Matt Parrott so he would be next for me why is he not higher despite the fact that it's an offensive tackle super important position and he has that insanely cheap contract because he was selected in the third round so I mean we're talking under 1 million against the cap for another three seasons including this one that is why it's so important to date on draft picks, by the way. Side conversation. But he's not higher on the list because he still is a third-round pick at an offensive tackle position. He was almost selected outside the top 100. If you look at the history of in the NFL of offensive tackles who were selected outside the top 75, the bust rate is insanely high. We're talking about not only were these players not quality starters, they didn't even become starters at all for the most part because offensive tackle is a super shallow position if somebody is expected to be really good he's usually selected inside the top 10 top 30 or top 50 at worst he parrot was selected almost double that 50 picks later i still have faith in him regardless of that i think he can be the outlier but at the same time i'm not by any means sold on that so he's number four for me yeah, he's number four for me as well, and we're just mirroring each other right now, but it does make a lot of sense, and you nailed a lot of good points there, but for me, it's also just the traits of Matt Pair. There was a reason why a kid out of UConn who doesn't really play anybody but did have a really solid senior bowl experience ends up going in the top 100. It's because of those long vine-like arms he has and those smooth, nimble feet that he does possess. I mean, I've stood right next to Matt Pair at the senior bowl, and I listened to somebody interview him, and I was just like looking up at this dude, and I'm just like, this guy is gigantic, seemed to have a great personality, a great uh, kind of attitude towards the game of football. And you saw glimpses of it last year. You saw a lot of glimpses of it in those Washington games where he played. Then he ended up getting COVID. And then he had a really, really rough Baltimore game, especially in the third quarter where those three sacks were schemed to his side. And then he never played a snap after that. Those are the concerns. But the contract, bro, you nailed it. And all those traits, they're there. He just needs to get more experience under his belt and kind of really refine his his uh, toolbox, I guess you could say, because he has the tools in there. He just kind of needs to put it all together right now. Yeah, you nailed it. All right, number five for me, Saquon Barkley. So here's the positives with Barkley. The NFL is a game of explosive plays right now. If you're not creating explosive plays on offense, you're going to look a lot like Jason Garrett's 2020 Giants offense. And that was 31st in the NFL, (laughs) holding the team back the entire year. So Saquon Barkley can create those plays. I believe he had nine 
plays of 40 plus yards as a rookie in 2018 and that was third most in NFL history by any player in any season he was an explosive machine and that was also evident in 2019 and by the way they still haven't fully utilized him as a receiver we still see upside as a receiver and that'll also lead to explosive plays so just that nature of him being arguably the most explosive talent the Giants have on the field and really and generally speaking he is the most explosive player they have on this field I don't even think that's an argument to be made him fully healthy those are the positives the negatives running back position not very important by NFL standards I mean if you disagree with that you're going against history two the history of re-signing players and Saquon Barkley is about to come off of his rookie deal the history of re-signing running backs is ugly I know some people are like well what about Derrick Henry and I'm like that was one season are you really judging a contract being good after one season you shouldn't be I mean look at David Johnson look at Le'Veon Bell look at Todd Gurley and the list goes on and on and on of mistakes made by re-signing players to that position also of course he's had two major lower body injuries now a torn acl mcl last year that was ugly took time it was swelling before he get the surgery he's still not off the pup list who knows when we'll see him he also had the i believe it was the meniscus the year before so now those lower body injuries are starting to pile up that's something you have to consider in this type of scenario where you're protecting players for an expansion team but with all that said, man, I still have him up here at number five overall because he's still going to be a massive reason the Giants win games this year if they are to win games this year. Absolutely, man. And I think a lot of Giants fans are looking back on Saquon Barkley and being like, oh, I really want to relive that 2018. Because 2019, you know, he, he finished the year really strong, but there was like a good like five or six games in the middle of the season after that injury when he came back. Some may say prematurely, some may say he was ready, whatever. Where he, when he came back and he just didn't really have the same type of juice or just success, really. And I think it was also a product of the way defenses were playing him, mm. as I've said before. But Barkley isn't my fifth. I actually have Nick Gates there, and it's because he is already proven to be a I would say adequate to solid starting center probably more towards adequate hopefully he could take a a bigger step to like a more solid and consistent player I thought he he like I've said several times in the podcast he just exceeded my expectations by so much last year but I still think there's a lot of room to grow because he's still a bottom half center in the National Football League but he could take it to the next level this is an undrafted kid who was a tackle in college he was able to convert in a truncated offseason to play center so I have Nick Gates as my fifth guy over Saquon Barkley mainly because yes I I think Saquon Barkley, when he's fully healthy and ready to go, it's awesome. But right now, he counts about $10 million against the cap. He's coming off of a serious injury. We're not 100% certain when he's going to be ready. I hope he's ready for week one. I'm you know, somewhat confident he will be, but I don't have anything to base that off of. I just right. don't think he's going to have the full workload or anything like that. I think we're going to see a lot of Devontae Booker early on as he gets acclimated to coming back off of an injury and taking hits. But Nick Gates, I think there's a lot of growing there. He's still a young player, learning a position. And from a mental side of things, he really mastered it last year. I felt like he was really dealing with a kind of problematic offensive line, specifically on the tackles. Uh, Then he has to also kind of deal with Shane Lemieux late in the season who was struggling a lot in pass protection. Nick Gates bailed him out several times in the Cincinnati game. It kind of really stuck out to me. So I really like what I saw from Nick Gates. I know you love Nick Gates as well. I have him slightly above Barkley, mainly it's contractual and because of the injury. We all know the difference Saquon Barkley can make to a football team. 
Yeah, I mean, you nailed it, Nick. And I love that adjective you used to describe the 2020 offensive line problematic. That's <laughs> probably the best way to describe them. And yet they made strides as a run blocking unit. It's crazy. Like if you look at it, it's a case can be made. It was worse than 2019. I don't know. They're both just such bad offensive lines, 2019 and 2020. But they took real strides as a run-blocking unit going to more of those power gap schemes, finding plays that worked for them in the run game, which was something they didn't really have at all in Pat Shermer's system. They didn't have a go-to run play. They used so much inside zone and occasionally would spring something because of Barkley. But with all that said, how much does it matter? If you ask me, not so much. Pass blocking is the name of the game. You really need to be good at that. The run blocking can only take you so far. The run game can only take you so far in today's NFL. You need a pass blocking unit, and like you said, you nailed it. There were times where Shane Lemieux needed to be bailed out. There were times where Shane Lemieux wasn't bailed out, and he blew a play. But there were times where Nick Gates did save him. And that means Lemieux had even more plays on snaps than you even saw watching the broadcast angle where he screwed up. That's not a good sign. No, it's not. And I'm not excited about Shane Lemieux heading into this season in pass production. I'm just hoping that he can miraculously get better. We'll see what happens there. He but, also just kind of looks... When you're watching the All-22, I just feel like he looks small. And maybe it's because he's mm-hmm. standing next to Andrew Thomas, and Andrew Thomas is just gigantic. I just feel like he like looks small mm-hmm. in his stance. I don't know if I noticed that, but, I, but I'm going to look into that now if I'm seeing Lemieux looking small. I just notice him so slow in his stance getting into those pass sets. It's just... It's, there's just such a lack of explosion by him. It's lower body, natural athleticism. Which there. is so weird, though, because I do love watching him on those trap blocks, yeah. those wham blocks. And Moving forward, he he's great. On the tray, I really do. And that's, but that could just be a case of he's good athlete moving forward and not you know moving laterally correct moving well he has to move laterally, not laterally obviously. i mean uh vertically i don't know how how what word would describe that yeah i think it's that and it's also a combination and i've brought this up on the podcast before yeah. is when he's in pass protection he gets hit right off the snap and that kind of jolts him and gets him off balance and he just doesn't have the ability to kind of recollect himself before that defender gets inside of his frame and just kind of controls him at that point yeah. which is unfortunate but yeah i mean athletically you're right i don't see that type of uh I don't see that type of explosion upon contact and ability to kind of mirror as well, unless he gets his hands inside. And then right. he does it because he can kind of pull the guy close to his face mask and just kind of hold him because holding's allowed in that sense. Inside. Like yeah, that, inside yeah. when you keep your elbows tight, but that doesn't always happen. Yeah, doesn't. there are times they just bat his hand, his hands right down. Yeah, and then momentum boom. goes downwards, and yep. now his equilibrium and balance is just all That's up. Those are the worst reps that, for Lemieux when you watch him get his hands swatted down, and he's just completely, at that point, just done. Yes, and when whenever Nick Gates has to help the other side, he doesn't have Nick Gates yeah. on the inside. Andrew Thomas is on the island, and then right. it's just a clear path right to Daniel Jones. Yeah. It's there. That's the case. But yeah, for me, it is Gates next on my list. So we have the same number six and five just swapped. You did a lot of good stuff on Gates. So I'm going to wrap up with Darius Slayton, who I honestly consider putting higher. I consider putting Slayton number six. I consider putting Slayton number five. I even considered Slate putting Slayton number four. Ultimately, I didn't put him in all those spots for a variety of reasons, but mainly because he plays the wide receiver position, and I think there's just so much depth across the NFL, and it's so easy to kind of mix and match and find different guys and play the rookie contracts there, but his contract is insanely cheap as a fifth-round pick, and I do believe a lot of why Slayton took such a big step back last year was a combination of two things. One, he was facing number one coverage without a running back to worry about, without Wayne Gallman as your main threat and Evan Ingram as your main threat. Two, 
he wasn't a great fit for Garrett's system last year, at least in the role they were asking him to. And then three, I think he was playing through an unreported injury that he just didn't discuss much of because he looked very different on tape getting in and out of his breaks and with his footwork right off the line of scrimmage. So I think a lot of that returns this year for Slayton. And we see a lot of more of what we saw from him in that Steelers game where he exploded on that post for that touchdown and just overall looked like more of the player we saw in his rookie season so I really like Slayton as an asset when you consider his contract what we saw from him as a rookie and the fact that Kenny Galladay will take away those number one corners it's so funny too because he had similar stats when you look at the raw stats it's just his catch percentage was down his contested catch percentage was down and he dropped more balls and he didn't score as much touchdowns but Darius Slayton had more yards he had 751 yards as opposed to 740 in 2019. And we, we think about this as a sophomore slump, and I would agree it was because there was more ass to Slayton and he didn't necessarily rise to the occasion. But one stat that I like about Slayton, Slayton is my last guy as well for the offense. I should probably specify that to the audience. He only played 4.4% of the snaps in the slot in 2019. And he played 19.6% in the slot in 2020 with Jason Garrett. And there are specific plays that I've seen on film of him in the slot where I was like, oh, darn, is that Darius Slayton? I thought that was Sterling Shepard. So that's mm. something that we may see in 2020 now that he isn't going to be relied on as that true X outside boundary type of receiver because sure. that's obviously Kenny Galladay's role. That's a great point. And I, wanted to, I remember us talking through the podcast last year during those all 22 pods like we want to see jason garrett get a little more creative in one key way get slate in the slot find a way to get your best receiver at that point on the field in position to make easier th- catches and to make bigger plays and he finally did start to do that toward the end of the season i think that's when you saw it most um for i think weeks 12 weeks 14 weeks, weeks 16 and 17 specifically where you saw double digit snaps in the slot but agreed if there's a way to do that now it might not be as easy now that tony's on the roster he's kind of slot only at least in my mind for the first season Shepard can play the outside I think he's better in the slot so we'll see what happens there but I agree it's definitely something they should mix in it's it's not something that has to happen all the time but you pick right. and choose your spots with matchups and things like that and you just kind of you just become a little bit more um, liberal with the usage of your wide receivers and not so oh this is this guy's role he has to fill this role you know Mm -hmm. even you can put Kenny Galladay in the slot if you really like the matchup you know I hope to see some things like that because Darius Slayton I remember in week two he ended up playing in the slot according to pro football focus and I remember it on film because Sterling Shepard got injured so they needed somebody to fill that slot role that wasn't Golden Tate so they started kind of getting creative and putting Darius Slayton there a little bit Mm. yeah makes a lot of sense all right let's get to our defense my number one player to remember we're protecting eight on defense seven on offense my number one player is drum roll please james bradbury in spite of that massive contract i just think it's so important to have these lockdown corners these guys who can play like you said every version of coverage you went over it great on the secondary podcast i'm not going to go over all of the reasons that make him so great because we already did a really detailed discussion and if you missed it if you're new to the show check out our depth chart series where we break down every position we did the corners and we did a lot on bradbury and what makes him so special so i'm not going to go back over that but i will say this all of those things that make him special is why he's my number one guy despite making 19 million a year against the salary cap yeah it's a lot of money against the salary cap but you can't understate anything that james bradbury does you can't understate anything leonard williams does blake martinez so these lists i mean we're getting a little creative here but just Mm -hmm. keep in mind we're keeping all these guys so i have xavier mckinney up there at the top because he's less than two million against the cap for the entirety of his contract and i do believe that patrick graham's defense is so highly uh 
guess you could say uh, it, it really needs a lot of safeties to function mm-hmm. and is specifically really smart and versatile type of safeties. And I think Xavier McKinney being a second round pick entering his second season, I think he could have a breakout year. I'm not sitting here saying that he's more important than James Bradbury or Leonard Williams. It's just a little exercise we're doing. But he's factoring not. in the contract. Factoring in the contract and sure. the age and everything like that. That's the way I have this list constructed. And all those things should be factored in. They would all be factored in if this hypothetical were true and the Giants were going through you know, an expansion draft where people could be picked from their roster. So I'm going to get to my number two guy. And despite the contract, again, it's Leonard Williams. And I know that would be a little controversial to some some fans. A lot of Giants fans, there was debate over the contract he signed, that massive 20-plus million contract. It's insane, really, for (laughs) some people think. But again, I think Nick went over it great on, we both went over it great on kind of the defensive line pod. He's just kind of that unicorn at his position. We were trying to think of it the other day. I don't know if we recorded this or if we were just talking about it. Like, who is similar to Leonard Williams in the NFL? At this point, he's very much so like a Calais Campbell type in his body type. Like, to be that long at six foot six and have that nimble ability to help against the run at that size, but also just, you know, be able to spin in the pocket and create separation. Sink your hips. Sink your hips. Bend through contact. Yes. All of that for someone who's six foot six, that long and that big. It's rare. It's unicorn-esque. And again, it wasn't actually put all together for him with the exception of his first season with the Jets where he was, did look like, okay, this is the next play as Campbell. And then there's a little bit of a lull, and then he met Patrick Graham, and he got it right back. And now he has Aziz Ojolari on his roster who could potentially help him. And now he has all those guys coming back in the secondary, like you mentioned, Xavier McKinney. So with all of that said, man, I really feel like he's only going to go up from here. He's a unicorn that they have on their roster, and he's my number two. It's crazy, man, because another player that kind of jumps into your mind is like a Chandler Jones, right? Because he's like six foot six. But then you look at his weight. He's 265 pounds. Like he's a freak, but he's 265 (laughs) pounds. Leonard Williams is over 300 pounds. Now, is Leonard Williams as explosive or as flexible as Chandler Jones? I wouldn't say so. No, like a vintage Chandler Jones. But still, some of the things Leonard Williams puts on tape, it it just makes you shake your head and smile. Like, I'm glad this guy is on the Giants now. (laughs) Yeah, you nailed it. Yeah, and Leonard Williams is my second guy, actually, over James Bradbury, mainly just because I didn't keep any edges. But in this hypothetical thing, Aziz Ojolari is being captain, so is Ellerson Smith. So I just wanted to uh, just get Leonard Williams because I do believe he's just a defensive player who's going to really impact the pass, but he's also going to really impact the run as well and I, I put a gun to my head is it going to be James Bradbury or Leonard Williams I want to take both <laughs> to be honest because James Bradbury ends up being my three for every reason that you ended up saying I mean you you're definitely keeping James Bradbury it doesn't really matter his contract he's at a freaking value with the play that he ended up showing last year for the New York Giants and like I said I've said it I think on last podcast or maybe two podcasts ago when I evaluated his tape coming over from Carolina I think this is above average cornerback you know but he didn't necessarily show something that says oh this guy's a lockdown last year with Patrick Graham he was locked down and I don't expect him to lose that going into 2021 no. why would he and for me number three on the list I actually considered making him one so this was interesting I will tell you why my case is but it's Blake Martinez Mm-hmm. Why did I consider Blake for one? Well, mainly because I think if you took Blake Martinez off this roster, the Giants would be actually lost. And I think their defense could take a massive step back if you had to fire out their Tay Crowder, you know, Devontae Downs, maybe Carter Coughlin. These are your second-level linebackers on the inside. It could be really, really bad. Like, really bad. I don't think Tay Crowder could do anywhere near the job that Blake Martinez did. Not I think if you had to take Blake Martinez out and put Tay Crowder in right now, it would be bad, man. I'm not... 
as high as others on Tate Crowder. I mean, we're talking about a seventh-round pick who was okay and flashed a little, but mostly because we're fans and we like, you know, we like to prop these guys up. It's kind of the feel I got because the tape didn't back it up with Crowder as much. So, regards to Blake Martinez, also signed to an incredibly bargain deal. The Giants got a steal there. Martinez, three years, thirty million. It's incredible considering what he gave them last year. He's a little older, so he's definitely not one for me because of that. He's also an inside backer. It's not as important as some of these other positions in some people's minds. Though, again, I feel like that one mic is super important because you really can't go anywhere if you have, like, really bad guys playing that mic position. So, Blake is number three for me. Yeah, it's hard to argue anything against Blake Martinez, and it's hard to find fans bigger than uh, bigger for Blake Martinez than us. So we, yeah. lo- we love what this guy brings, the New York Giants. But I actually have Dexter Lawrence up there because, again, this guy's going to have the fifth-year option. He was drafted in 2019. And I do believe he's primed for a breakout year as well. It's mainly just because of that rookie contract. But the next guy that I do have is Blake Martinez for everything that you said. And we you rave- Blake over Dex or Dex no, and Blake? No, I have Dex over, over Blake. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So four Dex, five Blake for you. Mainly because of the rookie contract. But if you were to say which one of these guys would you want to be on the Giants, I'm going to say Blake Martinez. No, no, so all factors long, matter. Yeah, all, I got, you got to consider all things in because, honestly, man, if you were to just have that raw kind of conversation, all right, it, you're going into 2021, say, and you can't have one of these three players, James Bradbury, Leonard Williams, or Blake Martinez. It's like, oh, geez, like that's that's a really tough conversation yeah. to have right there. But, yeah, so I, I can't say so, – Let's put you on the spot. If you had to pick one of those three players – to leave the Giants roster now in some weird hypothetical situation, who would it be? Mm. And now, and remember, it's right now, so there's no draft to fit, fill any of these positions. All you have is it, the scrap heaps on the waiver wire. I hate to say this, but it might be Leonard Williams. Uh, for me, it's definitely Leonard yeah. Williams. Yeah, and I, and I I know all the great things that he kind of gives for this defense and what he provides Patrick Graham. I think it's essential, but what you said is true, man. Like, I don't believe... I don't believe that if this team. I believe that if this team lost Blake Martinez, Tay Crowder can't fill anything close to what he provides. And I don't think anybody can fill what Leonard Williams specifically provides. But they can give you more than what I think Tay Crowder, Devontae Downs, and the rest of this linebacking core can do. And then on the flip side, I think the B.J. Hill types and the Austin Johnson types can give you, and even a Denebo if you need to move him inside on some snaps, because yeah. you can mix and match mm-hmm. to, to kind of make up for what Williams gave you. Cannot be replaced at all if you lose Bradbury. I mean, we're talking about putting Yidem out there. We're talking about putting Love out there. That's no good. That's a bigger drop off for sure. So for me, it's definitely Williams of that. But that's, that's just because of the depth that we ha- the Giants sure. assembled on the roster for yeah. sure. Um, okay, my next one. So you've done. I guess you've had five. I've only put in my three. So I'm gonna speed through these four and five for me. My four is Xavier McKinney. You broke it down a lot. Love the versatility. Love the fit in, in Graham's system. More importantly, I think he's going to be the only player I have confidence in playing that single eye safety role if they want to, and if they're going to blitz and play man more. So I'm really excited to see what he can be. I think his instincts as a safety are Kenny Phillips level good. And Kenny Phillips was the only giant safety I've ever watched. Rolls were okay. Antro rolls got better. They improved a lot. He obviously was a corner that moved to safety. And I thought like at first people were like, eh, I don't know if he has those. And then he kind of like grew in that role. But no one that I've seen play the safety position for the Giants had anywhere near the instincts that Kenny Phillips had before all those injuries, the micro fracture in his knee, yada, yada. So I think that from the little that I saw on film for McKinney last year and then at Bama, he has those ups, he has those kind of upside instincts. So he's four for me. And then number five for me is actually not Dexter Lawrence to follow your thing. Number five for me is Jabril Peppers. And I know that by saying this is a little controversial only because he is coming up on the end of his contract. So 
in that sense, you're really going to have to re-sign him, so you're going to have to pay him big money. But I just, if I was GM of this team, I would re-sign Jabril Peppers. You have to prioritize to that. Big that. Contract. Yes, I would prioritize that for sure. And we've gone over it on the safety pod, but Peppers, to me, took a massive step in his pass coverage last year. In addition to everything else he offered the Giants, he really came into his own Patrick Graham. So he would be my number five. Yes, so I'm at uh, Xavier McKinney, Leonard Williams, James Bradbury, Dexter Lawrence, Blake Martinez, and now I'm at Adoree Jackson. So I have Adoree Jackson before my final two, who are both safeties, to give you guys a spoiler alert right there. But uh, Dory Jackson, we're, it's it's more of a projection. You know, we, we've seen good film from Dory Jackson. We've seen inconsistent film. He's dealt with his injuries. He had his issues in Tennessee. But now he's a New York Giant. Totally different atmosphere. Totally different situation. 25 years old. All the athletic ability mm-hmm. in the world. Can perform any type of coverage that you ask him to. And he's good in run support. I mean, sign me up for that. He's good mm-hmm. in contested catch situations. Sign me up for that. Does he have a lot of interceptions? No. But I think interceptions are kind of fluky anyway. So I'm not going to read too much into that i think adding him to this roster significantly upgrades a defense that was significantly better than what we thought it was going to be last season so i'm going to bring a dory jackson even with the contract yeah that's my number six as well so we nailed you nailed it i went over and waxed poetic on a dory on our corner spot i really feel like he's the x factor this year for the entire season especially on the defensive side of the ball man to have that second corner who can carry vertical routes it's just the upside of that is through the roof in today's NFL, but also in Patrick Graham's defense. It's a combination of those two things. So he's my six. My number seven is Dexter Lawrence. You kind of already went over all the good things about Lawrence. I don't need to dive back into that. Or I'm sorry, that would be my number seven. Yeah, number seven, but incredible athlete for somebody yes. who's 346 pounds. Like you look at him and you're not like, oh, that guy's probably a great athlete. And then you see him move on the football field, you're like, I don't know how he does that. It is <laughs> weird, crazy and wild sometimes the way he moves at 345. And that's kind of what you saw at Clemson, too. I mean, his freshman year at Clemson, which was weirdly his best season in college, and then kind of wasn't as good those next few mm-hmm. seasons. So that's odd, but it doesn't matter. I mean, he was playing hurt. Whatever it may be, they used him in different roles. But he looked like a freak on the field his freshman season. He was, I believe, one of the top recruits in the nation at his position, which the Giants care about more than some teams. I personally subscribe to that. I like, the, I like that idea of buying into big-time recruits that weren't necessarily coached well at college or put in roles that didn't maximize their talent. And so he's my seven. My seven is Logan Ryan. We break him down pretty extensively in the safety podcast, but I believe he brings a lot to the communication of this room to the helping Patrick Graham get the personnel set up pre-snap into post-snap. He's great in the trap coverages that Patrick Graham loves to run, excellent in run support, and I do believe leadership is a valuable thing, so I have Logan Ryan as my seven. And who you got is eight. Eight for me is Jabril Peppers. Don't care that he is on the expiring contract. I know that's uh, something that I I hope the Giants can resign him. I don't know how realistic that's going to be if he balls out again. Some other team may come and pluck him up and give him more money than the Giants can realistically offer him. But I love the versatility of a player like that. He could drop down on the box, play linebacker for you if you really need him to. He developed some range last year. He's also great at carrying you know, tight ends horizontally. You can line him up in the slot if you need to, have him be that overhang type of defender. So I, uh, I would have Jabril Peppers as my last guy, and I hope the Giants can find a way to sign this guy long term. Yeah, and for my eight, it's definitely it's the only one we have different. I'm going with Lorenzo Carter, assuming that he has had this miraculous return from the Achilles, which from all the reports of the beat guys, it seemed like he was moving, like he did recover. And he is an incredible athlete. So I think if anyone could do it, it would be his type of athlete. 
if for say in this hypothetical he does return to that i'm taking him over ryan because i think that the giants decision to sign logan ryan last year to that three-year i believe 31 million dollar contract might be the exact reason they're not going to be able to sign jabril peppers so in my scenario by putting Ryan out there, some team takes him, they take the contract, it frees up the cap space, and now Jabril Peppers is a giant for long-term versus having to let Jabril Peppers go. And it's important to note this in this hypothetical situation where the Seattle Kraken are actually a football team. They wouldn't be in Seattle. Pick a city, Dan. Where are these guys? Where would the next yeah. football city be? That's an interesting discussion in its own right. Yes. I, I mean, I feel like a great one would be Austin, Austin, Texas, because Austin's a booming city. It is a booming city, but I would push back on it just because they like there's such a big Dallas contingent there. There is a big Dallas contingent there. I mean, but you got to think of like booming cities. Like where else? I'm trying to think of other like Nashville has its own. Nashville that's a booming has city. Its own. New Orleans has its own. That's a booming city to some extent to both of those. I mean, the booming cities are really there's a bunch out west now. But, you know, Taos is supposed to be an interesting city, but that's lighter, smaller, so, and that's in New Mexico. I don't think we'd do anything there. I don't know, man. It would be tough. That would be, that would definitely be tough. So let's go with Austin. So the Austin Kraken, if, uh, I think if Logan Ryan was put up for the expansion draft, he would be a player that they would target. They would want to bring in those type of guys who have been around, who are Super Bowl champions, have two Super Bowls, bring them in to kind of help stabilize the locker room and be kind of a coach on the field type of player. So I, I actually think if the Giants allowed Logan Ryan to be picked for the expansion draft, that theoretical team would end up selecting him. But they might not, and then the Giants would just retain Logan Ryan. That would be interesting. So that's what we got for today. That's our expansion draft hypothetical. If you do enjoy the Big Blue Banter podcast, do us a favor, please. We're only going to ask one favor ever from you guys. It's just help support us in all the free uh, uh, ways you can do it. And that means it doesn't cost you anything. No money. Just here are the ways. One, if you listen to us on your podcast app on iTunes, please head over to iTunes. Leave a review, leave a rating, and subscribe. Make sure if you do listen, you also hit download. When you listen and don't hit download, that doesn't help us at all, unfortunately for us. So we need you to hit that download button. We need you to follow us on YouTube, Big Blue Banter. You'll find our logo. And on Instagram, NY Big Blue Banter. Just those are the only ways we're ever going to ask. So help us out. Do us a solid there, and we'll appreciate it. Thank you to everybody again. Have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.